Welcome to Tonebenders, the sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, is Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Not bad, Renee. How you doing? It's good to have you back on the air here. I know. It's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have with us Brenda Jakulski. Brenda's the senior lecturer over at the University of North Texas Department of Media Arts right here in Texas. Uh, she's the audio coordinator for the department, and Brenda's worked in radio and TV production as a voiceover artist, a videographer, editor, director, and producer. She's been doing this for a while. You can email Brenda at a link that I will put on our website because her name is hard to spell. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado, and Tim is at Azimuth Audio. Hey, Brenda, how you doing? Hey, doing great, Renee. Thanks for having me. Yes, this is going to be awesome. So the theme on Designing Sound this month is education. So that's kind of why we wanted you on because you're you're deep in the education world and and we really kind of wanted to dive deep into that subject right now. So to to get started just kind of give us a little background on on who you are and where you came from and what your position kind of really is over at UNT. Okay. Well, I mean just a quick bio, I guess. Um, I started in radio uh, on air when I was 16 years old and uh, kind of worked my way through that and worked up to management by the time I was a senior in college and uh, worked in radio for a while uh, behind the scenes and also, of course, behind the microphone and really enjoyed that. But I'm always looking for something new to learn and decided to try TV for a while. So that's when I got into TV and got an opportunity to do some shooting and editing and uh, producing, directing, that kind of thing, and decided to go back to grad school, see what they knew. So I got a degree, an advanced degree in radio, television, and film, and um, decided also to uh, start a production company to help make ends meet while I was a grad student. Worked my way through and then have been lucky enough to uh, get teaching positions at uh, some universities here and there and really enjoy what I do. So at UNT, I am in charge of the uh, audio area, the audio courses that we provide to our students. I kind of oversee all the content and teach most of the courses right now. My main thing is I try to get students excited about audio. Right. And that's what I love doing. Yeah, nice. How big are your classes right now? Like how many students come through at a time? Well, it depends on what the class is. Our production classes, we really try to keep pretty small so that um, you have that one-on-one with the students and we have all the equipment that they might need so they don't have to go out and buy a bunch of stuff. So we try to keep it anywhere from 16 to 20 students in our most of our production classes, including audio. Yeah. So, you know, depending on what the course is, we'll have different equipment for that particular course, all the way from Adobe Audition, all the way up through Pro Tools with the DigiDesign, you know, units, and uh, really get them a lot of hands-on experience, plus the theoretical background that we think they need. That's cool. Yeah. Tell me about a little bit about the scope of it. Like, what do you expect a student to kind of know when they come out of that? out of that program? Well, when they come in, I just, I had an orientation the other day and I had students that came in and said, man, I'm afraid I'm going to be lost because I don't know anything about this. And so our thing is, that's why you're in college. If you knew it all, then you wouldn't have to do this. Right. And uh, so they come in at varying degrees of expertise, but hopefully when they come out, they have, you know, some some really basic skills on several different platforms, you know, software platforms. 
But for me, that's not the most important thing. You know, I, I want them to have the tools so that they can operate. But the main thing is I want them to understand the theory behind what they're doing and really to have that burning excitement that this is what I want to do. I want to immerse myself in this and I'm so creative and I can come up with things that's never been done before. That's cool. That's what I'm wanting students to come out with because the rest of it will fall in to place. And new software is always going to come out. So I don't focus as much on the software. I mean, of course, some, but it's really about the idea behind it and what you can bring to the table. Right on. Yeah, I love I love the fact that you don't teach to the software too much. You know, I'm on the curriculum advisory board for my alma mater, which is South Plains College. Oh, yeah. and um, Great school. Yeah, they have a really, really good audio program there. And um, it's a two-year school, so mm-hmm. it's not a university. But they always get pressure from above and from people that aren't in it to teach a whole bunch of software. Certifications. Yeah. Yeah. The Pro Tools certification, but beyond that, just, hey, this new software came out and this new software came out and this new software came out. And with a couple of exceptions, uh, I worry that you only have so much time as a student in school. And as a student, you need to be learning those fundamentals. You need to have the basics down enough to where you can sit down in front of any software and make it happen. I'll give a, a quick example is the latest episode of this podcast that we recorded. I mean, I'm a Pro Tools guy. I work in Pro Tools all day, every day. Right. And my home rig for Pro Tools, due to some upgrades and some other stuff, kind of went away. <laughs> oh. So for the latest <laughs> episode of the podcast, I ended up uh, pulling down Reaper, because Reaper's free, mm-hmm. and editing it and that. And I had to you know, reset some keystrokes. And it took me one step back for a little bit, but I'm entirely capable of editing the podcast in Reaper. It's not that different. So it's because you have to have that basic skill set. I have a really good example of how uh, teaching the software can go horribly wrong. In the mid-90s, there was a video editing software called Quantel. I don't know if either of you guys remember it, but it was... I've heard of it, but I I was a Media 100 person. (laughs) Yeah. So it was light years ahead of everything at the time. And the school that I went to got in with Quantel, kind of got into bed with it, and was pumping out these Quantel editors. And it was the only school in North America that was doing it. And then it was pumping out Quantel operators, not video (laughs) editors. Right. And two years later, Avid just knocked Quantel right out of the business and all these people were just out of a job and basically done because they didn't know how, why they were cutting pictures together. They just knew how to use this one set of parameters in this software that disappeared on them. And they were all kind of left high and dry. And it was something that for two years was amazing because people were graduating out of school and getting these jobs that no one else could get. And then, But in the long run, they just withered on the vine and died because other advancements left them behind. So it's definitely something that the theory is more important than the practical for the specific softwares. And that, and that's what I love to hear from you guys who are working every day in the trenches and putting out some amazing product. And, you know, I don't get that opportunity in academe as much to get my hands dirty, right. you know, as much as you guys do. And that's really nice to hear that reinforcement because there is some pressure sometimes to, hey, we need to offer certifications or even students will come in like, oh, am I going to be Pro Tools certified? And I'm just not a big believer in that for higher ed. I just, 
Yeah. I mean, again, as you said, you need to know your way around it. But to make that the end-all, be-all, I think is really a disservice. And I had a similar thing exactly with Media 100. And when students bring that up, I say, hey, I was an ace at Media 100. I was the go-to person. And they just, you know, it's crickets. And, uh, and I said, that's, that's the danger. But I can hop on almost any software now, you know, nonlinear editing, and get into it because it's all the yeah. same basic ideas. You know, just the buttons are different or the format's a little bit different. Hey, Tim, remind me of your educational background. I've forgotten exactly where you went to school and how you did your your thing. So in Canada, there's uh, university and college mean different things. So I went to college, which means it's more of a trade school. I, I went for, uh, it was called media arts, which meant the first year, it was a three-year program. The first year, you learn the basics of radio, television, film, and multimedia, which at that time was synchronized slideshow projections. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, those don't exist anymore because uh, the computers have taken all that over. But so you did that first year and you learned how to well, program the slide machines, also how to edit on actual film, how to cut on actual uh, tape. And then in the second two years, you picked one of those uh, mediums and you majored in that. And uh, I actually picked film because I wanted to be a director at that point in time, because I just really didn't know a lot about sound for film. And the way it worked is everybody made their own film and then crewed up everyone else's films. And I ended up doing the sound on everyone's film, and I loved it. And uh, from there, the last semester was a work placement. And while everyone else in the film program was going on film sets, I ended up getting it at a small three-room audio post house and uh, learned so much. And uh, actually, I ended up getting hired there after my placement. And that's how I ended up in the audio world. So it was kind of through various media and then through film and then falling in love with sound for film. Yeah. That's cool. So uh, just to rehash my story. So I went through a uh, two-year school at South Plains College. That was the one audio engineering program I could find in my part of the world because so many of the audio programs are not audio programs first their music programs first exactly you know so there was uh, at the time it was called uh, southwest texas state university which had a great great music program that was tied to its audio program but i can't sight read and so you had to be able to audition and sight read into the music program in order to get your hands on the audio tools and i was like well i mean i can't do that so I ended up at South Plains College and it ended up being the greatest thing ever because I mean, I'm, I'm still real tight with all my instructors and, and I feel like I learned so much. I feel like I had a two-year degree, right? And so in a two-year degree, they really had to boil it down to exactly what you need. And, and I felt like the faculty there did and still do really kind of get that part of it right. You know, what I've learned since then is that there are things you learn in school that are that school is a really, really good place to learn things from. And there are other things you have to learn outside of school. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tell me your opinion on that. What makes a good student as far as what they're what they're doing outside of the classroom? Well, let me just say this. In our department, I really like our department because it is very uh, diverse. Mm -hmm. And so we have students, a lot of our students come in because we have a, a very strong film program. We also have a very strong television program. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these students will come in and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to be a director. I want to be the next fill in the blank. And so they're really thinking about that. You know, they're thinking about, oh, you know, I'm a director. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to do all this. And um, because of the way we operate, we force them 
into trying every area of production, from single-camera film production to multi-camera TV studio to audio. And that's one of their first production classes, is they rotate through, in one semester, all three production areas. So they don't have a choice. They have to do audio. They have to do all that. So I really look for somebody that just is excited about the media. Yeah. You know, and they may come in and they're not even thinking about audio because they've never done it. And I like to watch TV or I like to go to movies. But then that's when it comes to the classroom and the basics from that very first short course that we offer them to get them excited and say, look, look what you can do. Yes, you want to do film. Great. Look what you can do with audio for film. You can take people places they could never go visually, mm-hmm. or it would be very difficult to do. And we can do that right here. We can make something so special at the university, and we don't need millions of dollars to do it. If you've got a great idea, some basic skills, and just you know work with it and massage it, and get you can make something amazing. And so when students come in and they start seeing that. You know, we show a lot of clips and all of that, and they just go, you know, a lot of them are just, there, there's a light that comes on. And I always say, you know, come to the light, come into audio, <laughs> you know, and, um, and and a lot of them do. And, you know, of course, some of them are still, you know, they're, they're going to do their film or they're going to do TV, but at least now they understand that, that audio is not just recording dialogue on the set. Right. You know, and uh, and so when I, what I'm looking for in students is just somebody with an open mind who is... Uh, not afraid to be creative, think outside of the box, and and put in the work. You know, and we really want them, if they can, to do internships, to volunteer. We have some student media outlets that they can volunteer with, and uh, and also since we're in a top media market, get a job if you can. Mm-hmm. You know, hang out with people, and and that really helps, as you guys know too. Yeah, you know, it's not just about books. It's it's got to be a lot past that. I, I wrote, and it's on the Tonebenders website, and I, I shared this with you before, <laughs> I think, the uh, the breaking into the industry thoughts that I had. And just to, to kind of paraphrase it broadly, it's go do work. Yes. Um, just, you know, start doing projects, and then you will start eventually getting paid for that. Something that I think people don't necessarily think about in terms of post-secondary education, uh, everyone thinks about the classroom. But access is what I loved about my college years was that like I could go in at 3 a.m. when no one else was around and get my hands on a Pro Tools rig, which at the time I think was Pro Tools 3. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it was the most amazing thing ever that I could just go in there and push buttons and figure it out on my own, which, you know, the instruction class was amazing because you you learn tons, but until you can actually get behind the gear and work your way, way through it yourself, like being told how it's done and actually doing it are different things. And as I said, I wasn't an audio student. I was a film student, but I still had the pass card that got me into the different areas. So, you know, you book out the room and get in there and play around. And then same thing with the uh, X cameras or uh, whatever else it was used. Check them out, use them, figure out how they work, figure out what you like and what you don't like. And as I said earlier, for me, I went into school thinking I was going to come out doing one thing and just based on what I got my hands on and what interested me while I was there, I ended up coming out and graduating with a totally different path in front of me than what I went in expecting. So like just the access to all the gear is something that people have to take advantage of because once you get out of school, you can't just sit behind a giant console without a million hours of kissing butt to get there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you just have so much access to such great equipment that you may never see again. Now, the other side of that is true. I get 
resumes from people that went to a school here in Toronto that have access to the CBC recording studio, which has like Neve consoles and all the greatest equipment in the world. And they're like, I know how to run a Neve. And I'm like, well, congratulations. You're never going to touch one again. But, <laughs> but yeah, just take advantage of your time when you're in school to get your hands on as much as you can. I think that's a huge point. You know, they, one of the things that I, I had in my head that I wanted to say at some point in this podcast was how much it is the responsibility of the student to learn. Yes. More so than it is the responsibility. I mean, the teachers, you're, you're in a group learning environment, right? Your teacher is going to present the information to you. And as a student, if your baseline expectation is more than that, you're going to get disappointed at some point. Your responsibility as a student is to learn. One of the big reasons to go to school in this particular industry is to get access to the gear. And to put your hands on it and to do stuff, you know, I mean, it's not like this is not law. This is not medicine where, where the degree is required for you to start working. Right. You can start working as soon as you have the skills. And what school does for the student is it gives them access to the gear and it gives them some direction, you know, go do these things. Here's, here's a bunch of people that you can record, <laughs> you know. And so it's the responsibility of the student to, to do the learning, and the way you do that is by doing and by putting your hands on it, and, and you have access to the gear, and that's such a, such a huge thing. And, you know, different schools have different levels of instruction, and certain teachers are better than others. We're all human beings. That's how it's going to be. But if you as a student have access to gear and a bunch of crappy teachers and you didn't learn enough, that's on you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's your fault. Well, and that's it, and it's a great point too. That and and it's something that I try to stress, particularly in orientations, is you know you can go, you can go sit in class, do the bare minimum, pull a C in all of your classes, you still graduate with your degree, mm -hmm. but what are you taking away? And you only get out what you put in. And um, you're exactly right. I mean, yes, we we have the gear forum. You know, I think we do provide direction forum because I mean, you can sit in front of gear all day, but if you don't have anything. Yeah. To do, you know, it's really hard to get motivated and try to figure out thing, how things happen. So I think most of us, you know, we'll say, okay, we'll do some demos and we'll provide some of that stuff. But like with anything, until you sit down in front of it and start playing with it, you'll never know how it really works yeah. and what buttons to push. And, ooh, if I do this, what a cool thing that does. I've never heard that before. So... That's where I think it really helps. Plus, I just think that a college degree from a four-year university makes you a little bit more well-rounded in terms of you're better able to speak potentially to yeah. clients and, you know, you're not so one-dimensional. And, and I think that really helps with your creativity and, and thinking forward and being able to really design some incredible things. And without some of the experiences, good and bad, that you have in college – I think you're missing something a little bit, mm -hmm. even though you're capable. And there are a lot of people who are very capable of doing amazing things without a college education. So I'm not putting them down. But I think for most of us, it really is so helpful to go ahead and, and get that degree. Plus, it's something later on down the line that you may need to build upon for, for another direction or, or something that will open a door someplace else for you. Yeah. Yeah, college is, it's an opportunity, it's not a guarantee. Absolutely. You know? It's also good to get in the habit of learning on your own because just because you graduate doesn't mean you stop learning. Like, you have to keep on top of everything, and as we said, when the softwares change. So if you get in that habit in college, it, you can keep it going in your work world. Well, and I have people, you know, ask me sometimes because I, I teach anywhere from, you know, three classes a semester to one. 
And uh, depending on the semester and my other things I've got going on, but, you know, they'll say, well, gosh, what do you do the rest of the time? And it's like, well, what don't I do? (laughs) You know, I mean, don't make it seem like I'm sitting at home eating bonbons all day. Your teaching has to be informed. You know, and it's constantly, particularly in this discipline, I mean, we're everything is changing so fast. You know, I, we can't go back and say, you know, oh, here's a black and white TV, you know, but it's all the same. I mean, you've got to stay on top of new things. And, you know, we're constantly looking at literature and, and looking at what you guys do and try to talk to people like you guys. What do we need to be doing? What do you guys need from our students that are coming out? You know, because it doesn't do anybody any good if we're not preparing people properly. Yeah. You know, it doesn't do a student any good, and ultimately it doesn't do us any good. Yeah, the really hard part is the things that, that are the best learned in school are the least sexiest things you can sell to the students <laughs> when they're looking to sign up. Because, I mean, the two things I got that the school was the most beneficial for me was signal flow and troubleshooting. Mm. You know? Uh, Time code. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? And it's like, and you just get... You know, you just pound your head into that wall for a couple of years in school until it all clicks together, you know, but that's not what you sign up for. That's not why you get that degree, (laughs) but that's what I got out of that degree was a real solid signal flow and troubleshooting background. And then it took me five years after that of working all day every day to become remotely competent at my job after school. Well, and that's something we have to remember, too, is you think about the very first thing that, that you put together when you were in college, you know, getting ready to get your first job and something you were like, oh, man, this is this is uh, this is the best thing I've ever done. And then you go back like after you're working and you go back six months, a year later and you go, who who would have ever hired me based on this? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's awful. You know, so we just made a hire. Right. And it was uh, it was someone that went to a four year school in the area right here. And the experience that this person had in school were the big, big factors in why we hired him. He led a team of people. He did a number of projects, both in school and on his own, but using school equipment. And, you know, he he had one of those stories coming out of school that was like, this person has lots and lots of those intangibles. He's got a lot, a lot of things. And so school is a real good opportunity to uh, showcase that and define a lot of that. But when we hired him, the thing that I told him was, hey, you're probably way better at audio than anybody you know right now, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's way better at audio than everybody he knows. Well, you step in this environment, you are not nearly as good at audio as everyone that's going to be around you for a long time. Yeah, That was a hard realization that I had when I came out of school. I came out of school way better at audio than anybody I knew. (laughs) And then I step into an environment with professionals and I thought I was better at it than I was for a minute. Sure. And I had to get I had to get knocked down for a little while and then get built back up. You know, I think that's important for students to hear because their personal experience tells them that they're good at this. Mm-hmm. You know, they've put all this work, money, effort, years into this. I've been doing this for years now, right? <laughs> you, you barely got started, kid, you know? <laughs> well, and there's that fine line between, you know, self-confidence and overconfidence yeah. and cockiness, you know. And, and I mean, I think we all have to have a certain amount of swagger, but you have to earn that. And when you're coming out of school, I think a lot of students, they, they were the best and acknowledged the best. Everybody came to them, you know, oh, man, I don't know how to do this. Oh, you know, fix it. But yeah, yeah they get out in the real world. They're like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, because it's competitive and you've got super creative, intelligent people with the skills. And uh, But I think most of them that are going to be successful – 
as you, Renee, you go, okay, that lasted a minute. Now I've got to figure out what else I need to know. Right. And then what I learned from beyond that was just how much more learning I had to do. Absolutely. And then you, you, uh, you don't really get a sense for the, uh, for the width of the audio field until you've tried to dive down a couple of quarters, you know, how deep sound design for film is, how deep just the straight location recording on the front end is of sound effects and how there are some people that make their whole careers off of that, how deep a rabbit hole Foley is, directing voice actors and doing all of these things that nobody outside of the industry even remotely understands. People outside of the industry think audio and music are exactly the same thing and (laughs) neither of them are any wider than that. And it's not until you get in it that you really start seeing all the little avenues. And then it's not until you start diving down one of the little avenues that you realize the depth of all of these different avenues and how much you can specialize and still be a generalist and still not even have touched certain things. And it's still all audio, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what's so exciting with students is they come in exactly as you're saying, you know, oh, music, dialogue. And then when you start going, wait a minute, and and that little crack starts developing and then the whole world starts opening up. And that's just such a surface thing, but it's still so much further than where they started. And they start looking down at the crevice that is audio and how deep does that go? And for me, that's really exciting. Right. When that, that little light finally turns on and they go, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I can do. Yeah. To turn this into a different angle, if I'm a student or if I'm a prospective student and I'm evaluating schools, mm-hmm. how do I evaluate a school? What am I looking for amongst the different programs? If I want to do audio well, let's say I want to do post-audio well. Okay. Um, I'm not going to ask you to recommend any programs, obviously, Good. but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just going to ask you to say, all right, what am I looking for in a school? Like, like, who do I talk to? What questions do I ask? Like, how do I go about evaluating one school versus another? Well, I'm also an advisor in the department, so yeah. that kind of helps too. So I talk to a lot of prospective students. And there are so many great universities in the United States and Canada and, you know, all over the world, of course. So you really – the important thing is to find the right fit for you. And we are a very large university at the University of North Texas. I think we're like 25th largest in the United States, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize. And we have around 1,700 majors or so, so it's a large department. And some people aren't comfortable in that environment. They want a much smaller environment that maybe they went to a small school or they went to a large high school or another large entity and they just want something that's very kind of mom and pop feel where, you know, you've got six people in a class, you know. Um, So that's something to look for is the type of university that you want or if you even want a university, if you want to go to a two-year school, if you want to go to a trade school, you know, what what are you interested in doing? How much money do you have? What kind of financial aid package can you get? Because unfortunately, you know, money has to factor into it. Sure. And of course, state universities are usually a little bit cheaper than four-year private schools. So, you know, you look at those kind of things. And then you also, then you get further and look at, okay, what is the curriculum? You know, you look at their catalogs. Everybody's got their catalogs online now. So you go in and say, okay, this is the department I'm interested in. What kind of courses do they offer? And what do they go into? Because there'll be a brief description of each one. What is the requirement for graduation? You know, what's the core like? How many science classes do I have to have? How many math classes? Typically in our area, we're not the best at math, you know, so um, 
hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so so those are all considerations. And then you look at the degree itself and say, okay, to get a bachelor's degree in, like we have one in radio, television, film, and we have one in, med- in uh, actually Converge Broadcast Media. We have two of those. Well, which one of those would fit me best? What is it that I'm wanting to do? We have, for instance, a very broad-based curriculum where we expect you to try a lot of different things. And it's not just simply, I'm going to do all audio production. Right. For me, I've worked at other universities that didn't have that. For me, I really like that. I like that freedom for students who are interested. I had one guy who was really interested in audio production, and all of his production courses pretty much were in audio. But he also really enjoyed watching films, discussing films critical analysis of film. So he was able to do that to fulfill some of those requirements. So he was really able to come out with a mix that he built. So are you comfortable with that? Is that something you want to do? Or do you really want to focus on just one area and one track? And so those are some of the things that I think that you would look at. Geographic location, of course, is important. You know, um, whether you want to go to LA, do you want to go, do you want to stay close to home? You know, what's what's important to you? So all of those things, because if you're not happy at the school, then you probably won't be real successful. And we're all in the success business. We want you to be successful. So, you know, maybe it'll be Midwestern State University or, you know, I'm just throwing that out. Or maybe it'll be Oklahoma State or, you know, just someplace else or UCLA or USC or Syracuse or whatever. So you really need to look and and see what's going to fit not only what I'm wanting to do later, which may change while you're in college, as as Tim was talking about. Yeah. You know, you just don't know. So look for something in a place where you're going to be happy and you can get involved. Yeah. You know, where there's student organizations that you can get involved because there's no place lonelier than a college campus where you don't know anybody. Yeah, that's cool. That's That's a good point. I didn't recognize how much of a rarity or how much of a weirdo I guess I am and that I knew I wanted to do audio like when I was 17. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people, they don't really settle into what they're going to do, you know, what what career path they're going to really choose until they're, I don't know, 22, 23, something like that as, at the youngest sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, by then you're through, you're through college. <laughs> You know, so I was very, um, I didn't recognize how atypical I was then. And so I really do like the fact that you force your picture cutters and your directors and stuff to mm-hmm. go go put some audio in their hands and, and make them respect that. Absolutely. Um, well, for our, our advanced film class, as a matter of fact, every spring semester, they produce student written, produced, directed, shot, edited, the whole bit, eight short films. Mm -hmm. And then we have a class in audio where we provide all of the location recording and then also providing the soundscape. And to get for the, the film folks to get into that class, one of the required courses is an audio class. They have to take it. And a lot of times they're like, why do I have to take audio? And I was like, well, you may not know this. There's something new called talkies that are out. (laughs) So we actually do have sound with that, and and I really do think it's it's very helpful, and they start thinking in terms of not only composition and lighting and all that, but, you know, okay, what are we going to do with sound? How are we going to make that enhance the viewer's experience? Yeah. I'll say from my personal experience, the best directors and the best picture cutters I've ever worked with are people that understand audio, and to some degree, they're also musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Great point. Because... Directors that respect audio 
we'll give the production audio team the latitude to do their job and they'll have their back. And, right. you know, if, you're, if your production audio team says, hey, this waterfall is beautiful, but it's 120 dB and you're right in front of it. And the, the director says, okay, fine, let's move back. I can still get in the shot. Or if the director says, no, we have to do it here. Those are two different directorial styles. Yep. And the ones that respect the audio, they get it, and in my opinion, more. And the same is true of the picture cutters, picture cutters that understand and leave space. That's the thing. Yeah, you yeah. have to leave space. If you want big, big doesn't happen fast. You can either go fast or big, but you can't go fast and big at the same time. And so the picture cutters that get that and that, that and it's, and it's weird. It's hard for them, right? To hang on something, <laughs> um, just hang on a shot and just have faith that your post team is going to do something really awesome right there, you know? But the ones that get it, they get it. And then you have this beautiful platform to work on. And so the ones that respect audio and, mm-hmm. and that have put their hands on audio in that, in that capacity, you know, they just do their own job better. Right. Know? Right. And, and me as an audio guy, you know, I, I have a camera. I go out and shoot. And that makes me do my own job better. I think the cross-discipline thing is really, really important. I think it's a really cool, cool thing that, that you have an opportunity to do in school. Yeah. I mean, we've been very fortunate to have that. And it's worked pretty well. And, and uh, I think a lot of the film guys, like last year, for instance, you know, we had directors that did exactly what you were saying. You know, audio folks went out and said, you know, this is a great place to shoot, except for we've got airplanes coming by every five minutes. We've got a train that's coming by three times a day. We've got, you know, all these different things that are going to be problematic. And, you know, and so it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll find a different location, you know, that'll be just as, you know, or almost as good or whatever, but but work better. And then we had another one that insisted, no, we're going to shoot inside this car that's being pulled on the back of a tow truck with all kinds of noise going on and the windows have to be down. Yeah. And uh, it's like, well, there's a lot of noise. It's, you know, this is going to be difficult because, of course, there's a very quick turnaround because this all has to be done in one semester. And they ended up having to reshoot because they just couldn't salvage the audio out of it. The, the thing that always, it shocks me in the field, a camera guy or a director that shoots without listening to the audio on the set just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the recording of the audio, you don't have the shot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was on a shoot this week and it was like both of those things simultaneously, Right. A, they almost didn't hire an audio guy in the first place. They were just going to let the video guy capture the audio. Right? Oh, wow. So he has a boom on his mic and he's got a lob and he's, kept, he's been in the business for a long, long time, but they weren't going to hire an audio guy for this particular shoot. Well, they decided it was going to be complex enough to where they did want an audio guy. Good decision by the producer, right? Okay. So they hire me on, we go on, we go out there and it's a very challenging location. It's a very <laughs> challenging location. <laughs> we're in a dome that's an inflatable dome. So it's got generators and blowers keeping it inflated, right? And we're shooting sit-down interviews. And um, one of the locations of the sit-down interview is right next to this big giant prop that's got speakers on it that are blasting sounds out, Oh, right? That looks beautiful, <laughs> right? Um, once they found their shot, that prop was not in the shot. And my camera guy and my director were not listening to headphones. I asked, I offered on the front end, I can give you guys wireless headphones. You can totally listen to this entire thing. Neither of them wanted it. So they didn't listen to it, right? Um, Before we set up entirely for that shot, I wave them over. Hey, come over here. Let me let you listen to what I'm hearing right now. 
They take a listen. We pick everything up. We move over there. <laughs> so say, know? oh, you can take that out, can't you? Right. right. <laughs> so on the one hand, they would have totally just said, and, and I, this was said to me three or four times that day. Wow, it's loud in here. Thank goodness we have an audio guy. You have something that can fix that, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> and it's like, I, I mean, I can, I can put the mic in the right spot and I can set it all upright, but that thing's loud. <laughs> so let's go over there and you can still get it in your shot, you know? And we did that two or three times. On the one hand, they weren't listening to the audio. On the other hand, they did hire me, they did listen to what I had to say about the audio, and they had my back and they adjusted their shots, and we got we got every interview just right. That's great. You know? um, but it was a little bit of a tightrope to make all of that happen. Things really had to come together to make that happen. So the mystery to me always is people with cameras on their shoulders that don't have headphones on their heads. It's always a mystery to me, and also producers, the same thing. Right. Absolutely. That's my little speech. Well, no, and it's and it's certainly a point well taken. It's always so good to hear that reinforced by if, professionals. Because as you're teaching those people, absolutely. I mean, Abs- well, I mean, my my rule of thumb is if if you're recording audio, you've somebody has to be wearing headphones somewhere, and then also, you know, with this course I was telling you about, and then the director made that decision and everything. I'm actually was really happy that that happened because it was a great learning moment for that person, and I doubt ever again, if they're working in film, that they will do that, that they will just totally ignore whatever the audio person said. Yeah. Because it, you know, at that point later on, then it's going to start affecting your bottom line. Yeah. And it's going to cost you a lot of money instead of just time and, you know, and all that. So it's really an interesting process to watch the students go through this. And hopefully they're learning some great life lessons about working with a team and, and yeah. learning to depend on each other and their expertise so that when they go out, they won't be giving the audio guy a hard time. You well, know? you know what? As an audio guy, I don't care if I have a hard time, but as we're discussing education and if I'm, if I'm a prospective director and if I'm trying to go to school mm-hmm. to learn how to be a director, my opinion of what needs to be taught to directors is you are still responsible for the audio. Even if there's an audio person on the set it's your fault if the audio is wrong. So you listen to it, you know? Yeah. That's my opinion of it. That's what I tell all of my director friends that are shooting their first shorts and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, you have an audio person. Maybe that audio person's me, right? I'm pretty good <laughs> at this, right? But it's still your fault if it's wrong. That's great. So That's, that's you know, good. So wear headphones. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and you see directors, the real direct, the real directors that really get it. I mean, they've always got their head in cans. Their heads are in the monitors looking at people, but they're always listening to playback or they're listening to production at the time. You have to do that. Or you have to have somebody else that's not the audio guy that's also listening to that stuff. You have to have, you know, an AD or a producer or someone else that's sitting there that can have the audio person's back when the audio person says, hey, this is not going to work or this is weird. Or sometimes you just need to QC the audio person. Nobody's perfect, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. To say, hey, hey, audio guy, let's work this, sig- this, this issue out that I'm hearing in my headphones here. And then your audio guy will sometimes go, oh, you hear that? That's awesome. Let's go fix that. You know, <laughs> it's so much better just to get it right on the set. Well, the thing that we try to really, I mean, it's kind of an in-joke with us, is I actually have a t-shirt that says, I'll fix it in post, you know, <laughs> and we really try to emphasize, no, <laughs> you know, don't, don't do that. Get it right when you're on the set. I mean, yes, there's some things obviously we can do in post, but we don't want to rely on that because sometimes you really 
can't 100% fix it or we don't have the time to do it or we don't have a budget to do it. So get it right while you're out there and, and just get in a habit of doing that, um, doing it right the first time, and it makes everything go smoother. Yep, for sure. Brenda, when I was in school, audio programs were massively male-dominated mm-hmm. in terms of students. Is that uh, ratio changed, in your opinion? Like, how, What's it like in the trenches these days? Boy, that's a great question. Our classes, it depends from class to class and semester to semester if it's predominantly male or or there's kind of a good mix. Um, in my advanced classes, typically it's more male, but some semesters it's, it's 50-50. I would say that probably there's more males that are interested in going into radio because I'm also doing audio for radio. And, of course, they're really, you know, personality radio now, in my opinion, is mostly um, – not so much on top 40 stations like it was when I was growing up, but it's on sports radio. Yep. So a lot of the guys that are initially really interested in audio, and then maybe they'll get into the post era, you know, in the pro- post world, but initially they're interested in becoming a sports radio personality or, or a broadcaster in that way. So you don't, you get a few women, but not as many in that, but I'm starting to get more and more women who are interested in the post environment as well, and and recording on location, so production and post-production for audio that's not necessarily radio. But I I get a few, you know, and and it's just a tough business, as you guys know. And um, uh, I know being a woman in radio years ago, it it wasn't always the easiest thing. A lot of times I was the only woman in the entire area, you know. So, you know, you kind of got teased at a few little things like that, but, you know, it uh, it all worked out. You know what's going to change in the future with regards to all of that is uh, podcasting, mm-hmm. because you don't have to go to a station anymore to broadcast to right. have a oh, show. Oh, absolutely! I run this show with a little bit of some technology here, but you know, there's a lot of podcasts that kind of don't. Um, but you, oh, yeah. you, you you need a certain base level, but if you can get a voice recorded, you can put a show out. Oh, absolutely! As a matter um, of fact, one of our assignments in one of my basic classes is they have to do a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. as an outlet for radio, mm-hmm. you know, podcasting, I think, can it, it re-expand past sports radio and kind of be more inclusive, I think, as things move forward with that. Absolutely. I, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised, though. One of the assignments that I've started making is for them to have to find three good podcasts. Yeah. So now I'll just give them your... There you go. Uh, there you go. Your location, so they'll make it easy for them. But, um, but because I started doing that, thinking, well, this generation—I mean, you're you're growing up with all of this technology. Well, you know, you know all about podcasts, and you have one. And I was surprised by how many college students had never heard a podcast or yeah. had barely ever listened to them. Certainly it's, not it's regularly. It's still niche. It's not. It's not big yet, but it's going to continue to get big. Yeah, there's some. There's some recent you know, uh, research that's been done that's showing that that's starting to grow. You know, certainly the older population's not so much. Yeah. But, you know, as as people are coming up, but even even younger, of course, than the current crop, the current generation of uh, college students. But so I, I told them, okay, you've got to find three good podcasts out there. <laughs> and uh, and some of them are like, man, it took me hours, you know, because of course they're every place, but where are the good ones? Yeah. And so they had to suffer through a lot. And so that was kind of part of the learning process. So you're exactly right. I mean, there's so many great technologies that have really kind of um, done this 
I'm going to use a college word, demassification. So, okay. you know, it's it, it's no longer like you have to get hired on by a radio station to be heard by a lot of people. And that's what's really exciting is there's so many different ways that people can take an idea and, and get it out to a pretty mass audience. And I have some colleagues in the industry that I work with that are kind of pioneering some of these things. And, and they've told me about people that have gotten some great sponsorships and uh, because they couldn't get hired by a radio station, they just did their podcast, and they've got so many people following them that major companies are saying, "Hey, I want to advertise now." Yeah, you know, radio stations. We want you to do now. We want you to do a show. And they're like, "No, I, we're we're making too much money. We're buying houses and stuff off our podcast." So that's next yeah. for you guys. Well, no, I mean, you know, the the money coming. In, you know, even the biggest podcast, Adam Carolla's podcast, and those types of podcasts, they still don't make gigantic money, especially by modern media standards. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you have to sell ads to make money, but they all complement their income by doing live shows of the podcast and they yeah, get for right. sure. tickets. Ticket the ticket sales is where they get. You also money. get click throughs like we do with Amazon and with B and H, you know, so that'll, that'll generate, you know, a couple pennies here and there. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, we're certainly not paying our rent on that. <laughs> um, we're not even paying our uh, server fees for this podcast. Not yet. We're getting closer. <laughs> thanks, thanks for those who, uh, who, uh, who give us a tip. Cause that was great. <laughs> all, all tips are welcome, right? That's right. Yeah. That's uh, great. One other thing that's kind of down that line that, that was brought to my attention at my last curriculum meeting was the non-traditional scholarships that are available that are at least where I went to school. Mm-hmm. It's a vocational college, right? So it's two-year school, but they have non-traditional scholarships that are available. So for instance, if you're going into nursing as a male, there's more scholarship money there for you than if you're a female. If you're going into audio as a female or as a minority, there's more scholarship money there for you than you're nice. you know. So there's there's some non-traditional stuff that kind of gets put out there to promote the diversification of the various fields. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the more... The more people that look different, shall I say, that are out there, I, th- I just think it's better because, you know, you're getting that different background and the different experiences and such. And, you know, my background is very different from your background. And one's not better than the other in terms of a background. It's just different. So that means we're going to bring different things to the table. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Cool. I'm really looking forward to the future because there's just so much great stuff that's being developed and things we don't even know about now. And it's going to give people even more tools to get out and create just some amazing, exciting things that we can't even dream of right now. And I know you guys are doing a great job in the industry and and doing some fabulous stuff. I mean, I've sat back, I've watched a lot of your stuff, Renee, and it's just, um, it's like, wow, where does that come from? (laughs) You know, and I mean, is it great to go to work every day? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a giant privilege. It really is. So like I said, we made this hire recently, yeah. and what I told him was that, hey, you you stepped into an entry level audio post job. That's a unicorn. <laughs> yes. Yes. Those things are not out there. Yes. You know. Well, I bring I bring a, one of my classes, as you know, Renee. I bring him to Dallas Audio Post Group. We do a couple of different um, field trips for professional audio in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And every one of them, they come here and they're like, I would love to work there. Yeah. I was like, yeah, who wouldn't? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, before we sign off, I'd like to talk about what a student's expectation out of school should be with regards to getting a job, like what steps they should take. You know, as he walked across the stage, diploma in hand, cool, who's hiring me, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I have parents that come up to me and they're like, well, what percentage of your students get jobs right after graduation? And... 
you know, do you guarantee a job after graduation? And, right. and I always just tell people for the guarantee thing is that really anybody in higher ed that guarantees you a job after graduation, you should probably run very quickly away from them. Yep. Because that's that's just something we have no control over. And as you know, media is so competitive and always has been, you know, even before all the things that are going on now. I mean, even back when I was coming out of college, my best thing for me is I had a full-time job and I was kind of waiting to graduate from college. And then it was almost like a vacation just having to go to work every day. I didn't have to go to college too. Um, So, you know, again, it, it comes back to what you put in it, you know, and what kind of contacts do you have? As you know, a lot of it has to do with who you know, who you can talk to, where you can get in, who you've worked with before, even if it was on a volunteer, voluntary basis. So, you know, I have students who get jobs right out of out of college. And, and of course, with audio, a lot of them are freelance work. I have yep. a lot of people working in freelance right now just trying to kind of build their resume. And, and some of them are getting paid pretty well, and some of them are not getting paid very well, and some of them are doing some volunteer stuff and and doing some other things to kind of get along while they're bu- building their resume. And other people have found full-time jobs in production houses and et cetera. So I think if you're willing to do what it takes to get a job in media, I think eventually you will. But sometimes, you know, you, you can't expect to come out of college and be making a huge amount of money. Yeah. I, I think... Most people realize that's not going to happen in our discipline, but some of them do. And they're like, well, gosh, I could make more, you know, working at, you know, a convenience store or something like that, you know, right now. And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, is that what you really want to do? Is that where your passion is? And you're going to follow your passion. So if you're not that passionate about it and you're willing to go do something else, then that's great as long as you're happy. Yeah. You know, but it, it's a tough business, as we all know. But there's also, you, you can't, as you know, there's no one straight path to getting to the job that either one of you have. You know, Tim, you had, took a totally different path. Renee, you took a different, I've took a different path. So there's no one way we can say, well, if you do all these things, this is what's going to happen for you. But I think if you try hard, you work hard, you've got a great attitude, which is huge. Yep. You're willing to do whatever it takes you know, people will eventually notice that and it will be rewarded. I'm a firm believer in that because mm-hmm. I know you guys have worked incredibly hard for years and years and done things that people never even saw. But it was the little things that you did that eventually made you what you are. Yeah. I, th- I think the reason you hear the words kind of passion and enthusiasm a lot is because those translate into free work. <laughs> you have to do a lot of things without getting paid sometimes for a long time. And you have to put a lot of hours into things that the project may not even warrant it. Right. You know, but you have to do it for yourself for a while, even after school, to really get your skills to that level and to get your credit list to that level, you know, and just to get your get your knowledge to that level before you're even employable. Right. Um Right. I always tell people it's you can basically look at it this way. It's almost like you're still paying tuition yeah. when you get out of school because you're you're not going to be making a huge amount of money and and you may be working really weird hours and, you know, not have any days off or whatever. And this is an industry when people get in it, man, they don't get out. Right. So, you know, that's why a lot of people do have to freelance, you know what I mean? So they do have to keep day jobs that are not in the industry for a little while until they their freelance gigs start overtaking their day jobs. Right. Um, 
And what I always tell people is work in audio as much as you can or work in the discipline as much as you can, as much as you can, do as many projects as you can. And if you find a staff job, jump on it. <laughs> Even if you don't love everything about it, jump on a staff job. And then at some point, if you want to come off of that, then come off of it. But do that from a position of strength, you know. One thing I'd like to add that has to do with education, but isn't necessarily related to the uh, textbooks and such, is that get along with your fellow students because in 10 years, they're your clients. They're the ones who are giving your name to someone else. And if you treated them like a dick, that's going to come back to haunt you later. And it also teaches you how to work in groups because once you graduate, you're going to have to work with teams and be part of a team. So just that's like a good incubator of the kind of person you're going to be working yep. with in the future. It's not just about knowing the terms and knowing how to push the buttons. It's, it's also a social thing. And that's being said by someone who spends long hours in a dark room alone <laughs> cutting audio. But there's still a huge social component. And, you know, I've got jobs for lots of people that I went to school with. They start off as your peers in school, but as you grow up, they're your peers in the industry and you keep working, you get into cliques. And, you know, if you're friends with a guy who makes a really good student film, there's a good chance he's going to make a good professional film and he'll work his way up. And if you can be his audio guy, you can go up the yep. ranks with him. And also, like, it, the friendships also last a long time, too. All my best friends I went to college with, so. Yep. I've got, I've got lots and lots of really, really great friends still to this day that I went to school with, you know, that we... We still have all those memories of, you know, this guy always would show up late and, and then <laughs> one guy would show up late to that eight o'clock class every day. So on the last day of school, we had the lotto for what time he was going to come in. <laughs> he wrote his name on the board and everyone was picking times and he showed up like, you know, 17 minutes later or something like that. And everybody, one person was like, oh, you know, and he's, that guy's still my buddy, you know, and, you know, there's those, those, yeah, those people don't go away. Those people are going to be around you for the rest of your life if you if you pursue what you're doing there. Well, and that and you know it's a great point too, Tim. That uh, and we do talk about that. Is you know I'll have 60 people sitting in this large lecture. I do one lecture, and then we break it into labs. And I'll say, okay, I'll point at somebody, and I'll say, you know, you got to remember this because one day you may be looking for a job from that guy, and you know, really, it's a relatively small community. Yeah that works in this. I'm sure you guys do this all the time, that you know somebody that used to work with Tim or, you know, it, it's just a small thing. And I have students come up to me all, all the time and they'll say, hey, I met so-and-so um, and they know you, you know, and, it, and it, it's a neat thing because you want to make sure that you do have that great reputation, that you're easy to work with, that you're professional, that you're everything that that, that entails. I mean, that is such a great point. It, it really does start in school. You know, you, you develop your professional behaviors in college, I think. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for saying what I was trying to say eloquently. No, no <laughs> you were great. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Brenda, so much for coming in and talking to us. This was, this was a blast. Oh, I, I loved it. Can I ask you guys, as an educator, what are you guys looking for for people who are trying to get that entry-level job in what you're doing or with your companies? Credits. I want to see lots and lots of projects. I want to see your name on a whole bunch of things. Okay. Um, whether from in school or out of school, I want to see a good reel. You know, I want to see the quality of your work, and I want to see that the quality of your work is professional level. Because if you're not at a pro level, I can't hire you as a professional yet. So those two things are big, big things for me. 
And then from that, it's just your story. You know what I mean? Like what experience did you have in school? You know, what were you in, in leadership positions or what kind of other things did you do in school that are, that are kind of part of who you are and your personality? Um, so those two things are, are the big, big things for me. Okay. Tim? Uh, I'm not sure the best word for this. I don't know if it's humbleness, but it really irks me when a perspective person comes in and says, it gives me the impression that they know everything already and that I'm really lucky <laughs> that they picked me to come talk to when like within a few questions, I can tell that their head is somewhat placed in an uncomfortable spot. Uh, <laughs> so like I, I, as we were saying earlier, you're coming into an environment where you're leaving an environment where you're the top dog and you're coming into an environment where you're the, the rookie and you have to be self-aware enough to know that you don't know everything. And sometimes it's best to just be quiet and absorb than uh, tell everybody everything, you know, I think, I think that's uh, maturity. You know? Yes. There you go. Again, thank you for putting it more eloquently than I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a level of maturity is important. Um, for sure. You get that in the interview. Exactly. The interview, the, your credits, your credits and your reel will get you the interview and then, and then your interview will, uh, will often get you the job. Well, I really appreciate this guys because, um, again, being somewhat removed, I mean, I do a few things, you know, freelance, but, um, not working in the trenches every day like you guys do and, and uh, all the incredible things that, that you guys create um, just amazes me. And so I really rely on you. And, and if anybody else um, in the industry would like to email me, I would love – I mean, you're going to have the link up. Yep. I would love to hear from you and any suggestions that you may have because I just want to make sure that students who, who come to me at the University of North Texas, when they leave – when they get their degree, get out of our program, that they are bringing to the table what the next generation is going to need. Yep. And that's really important for me to make sure that we provide that for them. Yeah. In my opinion, again, the, the bottom line, the proof is in the pudding, right? What are you capable of? And it doesn't matter how you got there. And if you used your, your time in college and university to use the equipment and do a bunch of projects, cool. If you didn't go that route and you just jumped on Craigslist and Mandy and did a bunch of projects that way and you developed your skill sets and your reel still looks this good, then that's, that's what it is. So the proof's in the pudding. Okay. Pro prove your worth with your work. Yep. And then that'll get you in. Great. Thanks, guys. Cool. Really enjoyed it. Uh, before we head out, I just want to give a huge congratulations to Alex Thomas, based in Seattle, who won the hybrid library from Pro Sound Effects. We had a great response to that contest, and we want to thank everybody for applying and entering. And uh, we want to thank Pro Sound Effects for reaching out to us and uh, letting us put that amazing contest on. The really cool thing is Alex had actually contacted pro sound effects and applied to get the hybrid library but it turned out that uh, he couldn't quite swing it at that moment so when he won it he was over the top and he's recently graduated and he's starting out freelancing and uh, this is going to really help him get his career jump started so it feels good to uh, be able to lend him that helping hand from both us and pro sound effects we have some other cool contests coming up in the future so pay attention so thanks again to Pro Sound Effects and congratulations to Alex. Yeah, that was a big win. That's a that's a big prize, man. Yeah, that's an awesome prize. I own it and I unfortunately paid full price for it. So <laughs> Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Brenda but thanks to Brenda Jaskalski. Jaskalski, <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Brenda Jaskalski for jumping on with us today. Thanks for Stacy Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. 
You can follow the show at The Tone Benders on Twitter. Go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. Also check us out at Facebook.com slash ToneBendersPodcast. See you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tone Benders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there. And leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonevendorspodcast.com.